Hello everyone and welcome back to Black True Crime in Real Time. It has been well over a year since I've done an episode of this, so I'm really, really excited. I have three cases today that are completely bonkers, plus it's 2021, plus it's Inauguration Day when I'm recording this, so there's a lot going on. <laughs> Black True Crime in Real Time is a place where we focus on crimes, mostly murders, committed by black offenders as they occur in real time, or most recently. A few of these cases actually happened toward the end of 2020, so they're not as real time as I'd like, but they're crazy and I had to cover them. So let's get started. Case 1 On Sunday, August 9th, 2020, police in Wilson, North Carolina were called to a home on Archer's Road to find a horrifying scene. A five-year-old boy shot in the head and clinging to life. It was around 5.30 in the evening. This beautiful boy named Cannon Hinnott and his two sisters, aged seven and eight, were playing outside in the front of their home. Cannon was riding his bike when he was approached and shot at point-blank rage in front of both of his young sisters. Their father, Austin, ran out of the house and started to scream when he saw what had happened to his son. Emergency responders arrived and rushed Cannon to the hospital, but he unfortunately did not survive his injuries. According to other witnesses, there was no question about who was responsible for Cannon's murder, and it was someone that the whole family knew. 25-year-old Darius Sesum lived next door to Cannon and his family for years, and even spent time with the family. In fact, Austin, Cannon's father, had had dinner with Darius just two days before the murder. And even more disturbingly, Darius was at the Hinnett's home earlier on the same day that he took the life of their son. Immediately after the murder, Darius Sissoms tried to flee in 2019 Toyota Corolla and managed to evade police for 24 hours until he was found in a residential area of Goldsboro and quickly arrested. He was charged with first-degree murder the same day and the following day at his bail hearing announced that he was seeking his own counsel. This was not Sesum's first time being in jail or in front of a judge. Darius has also had a couple of run-ins with the law prior to this. In 2016, he was convicted three times, once for felony larceny of firearms in March 2016 a misdemeanor for maintaining a place for a controlled substance in April 2016, and a felony charge for marijuana possession in November 2016. He also had two pending counts for maintaining a vehicle, dwelling, or place for controlled substances, which are felonies. The family is understandably devastated and even more so because Darius was someone they knew and felt they could trust. A motive for the crime is not yet known, but it is but it is assumed to be personal and intentional. A neighbor named Doris LeBrant was at home at the time of the shooting and claimed she saw the entire thing. She said she saw Cannon riding toward the yard of Sesums. Sesums then ran up to Cannon, pointed the gun at him, and pulled the trigger. She said, quote, My first reaction was, he's playing with the kids. For a second, I thought, that couldn't happen. People don't run across the street and kill kids. End quote. But once she saw Cannon's father's reaction, she knew it was serious and she called the police. Cannon's mother signed him up for organ donation so that he could live on by saving the lives of other children. 
According to his family members and those who knew him, Cannon was a beautiful, loving kid who had the biggest heart. He was the kind of kid that took care of and enjoyed insects and bugs, and he was not the shy type. He was due to start kindergarten the very next day and just learned to write his own name. When I initially wrote this case, it was months ago when it first happened. So when I went back to look for an update, I found that a juvenile correction center officer in New Jersey named Rome Smith was suspended from his job because he said, quote, he should have ducked, shrug emoji. Yes, it was found from a post on Facebook he made and the full comment reads, quote, he should have ducked, F-O-H. Y'all always trying to sneak this and discredit a black person being killed innocently by police. Blame Cannon's parents for not watching him. Exclamation, exclamation, exclamation. F y'all, exclamation. To see pictures associated with this case, please visit our Instagram at Black True Crime Podcast. So this case is really sad for me just because anytime kids are involved, I just feel like my heartstrings are being pulled on extra. Cannon was a white child. I don't think I made that very clear, but he was a white little boy and clearly Darius was black and a lot of people were on social media going on about it and putting in their two cents. But in my opinion, anybody killing anybody, especially a child, I don't care what skin color you are, it's wrong. And don't even get me started on that corrections officer. I understand the frustration and the political climate and, you know, wanting justice for your people. But at the end of the day, how can you blame someone's parents for the death of their child? That's just very difficult and very brazen on his behalf, I may say. Rest in peace, Cannon. Case 2. On Wednesday, August 12th, 2020, 18-year-old Winston Ortiz was brutally and fatally attacked. He was stabbed three times, twice in the back and once in the chest, and then his killer poured, poured lighter fluid on him and set him on fire. Winston was still alive and suffering when neighbors ran to help him and extinguish the flames. Witnesses said that he was praying throughout the whole ordeal. According to Winston's father, he was told that one of the last things his son said was his mother's phone number. He was taken to the hospital where unfortunately he died from his injuries. Fortunately, however, Winston was able to tell police the name of his attacker right before he was taken to the hospital. The name he gave was Adonis Betances and he was arrested the next day. Adonis is a 22 year old Bronx native who from the very beginning insisted that he'd been framed which doesn't really make much sense when coupled with other statements he and his family made toward police, to police about the attack. He told his family and police that he killed Winston because Winston had raped his 15-year-old sister. According to Winston's brother, the 15-year-old and Winston had been dating for a while, but recently broke up, mere days before the murder. It is said that Adonis always had an issue with the relationship, but not to the point of acting out violence against Winston. The Batonsons family is convinced that Winston raped their daughter, but according to Winston's family, he, was, he wasn't even capable of doing something like that. He was a church-going boy and was very educated and focused when it came to his schoolwork. A quote from his aunt reads, He was a son of God that didn't do any harm to anyone. We don't understand why that happened. 
Everyone that knows him, you could go to his school, will say the same thing. He never argued with anyone. He never had problems with anyone, end quote. Both families were in court on October 14, 2020, and witnesses say the families exchanged very angry words toward each other. Adonis is charged with first-degree murder, second-degree murder, and manslaughter, and is due back in court on January 14, 2021. For pictures and videos associated with this case, please visit our Instagram at Black True Crime Podcast. So yeah, this was a very sad case. I think it's more so sad because if you see a picture of the boy that was killed, you would never ever in a million years think that he would rape his own girlfriend or honestly hurt anyone. He just does not seem like that type of kid. So it's very hard for me personally to believe that that is why Adonis decided to kill him. But things are very early in the case. A motive has not necessarily been established. Adonis claims that he's been framed, which is absolutely ridiculous. And yes, so I will include updates on that case in the future. Justice for Winston. Rest in peace, Winston. Case three. On October 22, 2020, in Inkster, Michigan, police found a man in severe distress hiding in the bushes of a Dollar Tree parking lot, suffering from what seemed to be unspeakable acts of torture. The victim, who is still unnamed, was immediately taken to the hospital, where he told police that he'd escaped from a car in the parking lot of the dollar store and feared for not only his life, but the lives of his family and children. He told police that he'd been held captive for almost four months by people he'd known for years and considered friends. 38-year-old Vera Miller and 30-year-old Corey Hill were the two named as his captors. He'd known Vera for 11 years and Corey for around six years. The following details are what he explained to police about his traumatic experience with these two sick individuals. Around June of 2020, he was working at a CVS in Dearborn, Michigan, but was struggling a bit with his living situation. So he asked if he could temporarily live on Vera and Corey's couch until he could get back on his feet. He offered to pay them $400 a month and they agreed, but they asked for his bank account information so that they could just take the money out themselves. I'm guessing because of his desperate situation, also coupled with the fact that he knew them and trusted them, he agreed to give them the access. He said from that point on, they took every paycheck he received. And then the abuse started happening. The victim said that Corey and Vera put a dog shot collar around his neck, whipped him with extension cords, beat him with a wooden board, which knocked out his front teeth, and forced his hand into boiling water. He went on to say that they would also tie him to a chair and hold a lighter to his nipple until the skin burned off. They basically starved him, feeding him a bologna sandwich every now and then, and forced him to chew on a towel soaked in dog urine. And this went on for months. He said anytime the couple would go out, they'd take him and make him ride in the back seat with child locks on the door so he couldn't get out. If they had to go into a store, they would take his shoes and pants and leave one of their children in the car with him to make sure he didn't leave. On October 22nd, the day he escaped, he said Vera Miller picked him up from his job at CVS and hit him in the face with a phone, busting his lip. She then drove to pick up Corey Hill from his workplace, where he then assaulted the victim, breaking his jaw. 
After that, they drove to the Dollar Tree where the victim said he was so scared of what they would do when they got home, he climbed in the front seat and escaped the, through the front door while one of Vera's children did everything they could to stop him from getting away. According to the officers, the victim's body had scars, bruises, blisters, burns, cuts, scabs all over his body, including his face, chest, legs, stomach. His right hand was blistered, scabbed, and peeling from when he was forced to put it into hot water. And oh yeah, he was also missing three teeth. News reporters went to the home where they found a woman claiming to be Vera's daughter. And here's how that conversation went. Is there anything you want to say? It's really not anything that I need to say. say it right now. Do you think that your mom is innocent? Yeah, I do. This is a safe place to be. I, I don't understand what's going on. I really don't. Was there a guy staying here, a friend of theirs living here? No, he didn't. He never lived here. Police interviewed Vera and Corey on October 24th, and two days after that, arrested them both and charged them with multiple counts of torture, unlawful imprisonment, and assault with intent to do great bodily harm. Both are held on a $250,000 cash bond. For pictures and videos associated with this case, please visit our Instagram at Black True Crime Podcast. So I think, you guys, this case was the worst for me, just in the sense that he was able to leave their home to go to work to make money that would benefit them. But once he got home, because, you know, they watched him like a hawk and they would not let him, there was no way he could get out of work without them knowing. Once they got him back home, they tortured him over and over. And I think one of the worst parts about this is that Vera and Corey involved their children, which when you check the Instagram and you see the woman that claimed to be Vera's daughter, she looks very, very, very grown. She looks like a very grown woman. So it's hard for me to believe that she did not know what was going on and that she had no idea that her mom was this violent. When asked who was more so the aggressor, the victim said they both were, but Vera Miller was more sadistic and violent with her, with her actions toward him. It's just heartbreaking. And he thought he could trust these people. He's known them almost half my life. <laughs> he, knew, he knew Vera for almost half my life. And she still was able to do these things to him. It's just sickening, you guys. Please be safe out there. You cannot trust everyone. And if there's a gut feeling that something is wrong, trust that feeling. It may save your life. Thank you for listening to this episode. I hope you enjoyed it. This is the last episode of Black True Crime in Real Time that will be available for free. You can sign up for our Patreon at any level and get access to these episodes there will be two per month and then i also will be including updates to these cases that will be available for a higher on a higher tier thank you guys so much i hope 2021 is treating you well so far happy inauguration day and i'll see you next time